Let's turn to First Thessalonians, the third chapter. And we're continuing our series on praying the scriptures, looking at different prayers in the scriptures. We looked at the first three from the Old Testament. And now we're going to the New Testament, and most of them you will find in Paul's letters to the churches. And this morning we're going to look at his letter to the Thessalonian Christians in the third chapter. Let's go for the Lord in prayer for illumination. Father, I come to you this morning asking you to send the Holy Spirit to empower me to preach this text, to be faithful to it, to not insert my story into it, to not insert anything into it, Lord, other than what it says. Help me to faithfully give an expository sermon on this text, Lord, concerning Paul's prayer for the church. I pray that you send the Holy Spirit, Lord, to illuminate our understanding and give us Holy Spirit-enabled wisdom and knowledge of this text. And that, Lord, as we receive knowledge from the Holy Spirit, that we're able to live out the truths principles, the applications of this passage to your glory. Lord, may you humble the pride of man and may Christ be exalted. May you bring sinners unto repentance as this passage is preached this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 11 of chapter 3 reads as follows. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all. Just as we do to you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Amen. The purpose of this letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he wrote two of them. He wrote two of them. And Thessalonica was one of the first cities to be evangelized by Paul and Silas when they landed on the continent of Europe. Uh, we find this in uh, Acts 16, where he and Silas first came to that region. And so after Paul, Paul preached at Philippi, which is the Philippian church, he journeyed to uh, Thessalonica. And so Thessalonica itself was a base for the spread of the gospel in Macedonia and in Greece. And this was Paul's plan to have a church planted in the geographic center 
of the region that they were going to be uh, speaking at. So what Paul did was he wanted, what Paul did was he planted churches and then he went elsewhere and planted other churches and uh, in the meantime, in between time, he was imprisoned a few times. But what Paul customarily do is send one of his helpers back to those churches to, to strengthen them and to encourage them and also to see you know, what problems were taking place in that church. So this was a fairly new church that Paul had planted. So what Paul did was, you know, we look at Thessalonians, that Paul gives us an intimate introduction to uh, how he mentored young believers. And this letter does that. He's teaching to young converts. So the purpose of this letter is to encourage and strengthen these young believers in the basics of their faith and to apply those truths to their lives. He challenged them to persevere in godly living despite persecution. And he also comforted them in the resurrection by speaking of Christ's second coming. That's in the latter part of this letter. So that's the purpose of this letter. Now, looking at the context of this passage. The reason why Paul prayed that a way be made was if you go back to the second chapter, let's look at this in context. Go back to the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And Paul is longing to see them if you look at verse 17 of chapter 2. He says, but we brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time, in presence, not in heart, endeavor more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. So what is the context? Paul's efforts were thwarted for them. He, Timothy, and Silvanus, which is what you find in the very first verse of who the letter is from. It's from Paul, Timothy, and Silvanus. And so they were hindered by Satan. Paul says that they were away from them in presence, but not in heart. His heart was with the Thessalonian church, and he had longed to see them, but his efforts were thwarted. So hence, we have this prayer here. So what Paul did was he had a concern for their faith. If you look at the beginning of chapter 3, it says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith so since Paul couldn't get to them then he sent Timothy and then we read here in verse 6 what did Timothy do he says but now that Timothy has come to us from you 
So he sent Timothy to them to encourage them and strengthen them in the faith. And so Timothy came back with this report. Look at what he says here in chapter 3 and verse 6. He says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. So Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy were encouraged by their steadfastness in the faith. And this made Paul want to see them even more. How encouraging it is to hear about saints growing in their faith and how encouraging it is for saints to want to be with them after hearing about their faith. And then so we have here verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. In other words, what great joy, what what things can we give to God for you growing in your faith? And here we land on our passage for this morning. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. So that is the context. A couple observations. Number one, note the unity between God the Father and Jesus Christ. He says it here in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look at the end of verse 13, blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This shows the unity between God and Christ. That they are totally united, that they are totally one. And that's what makes the Christian faith different from every other religion out there, which are all false that there's true unity between God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That they are one, that they have no separate wills, that they are both one, they are both united together. That's why Christ said in John the fifth chapter that I did not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is demonstrating that the Father and Son are one along with the Holy Spirit that makes up the Trinity. And also note Paul's dependence on God in this passage. Paul longed to see the Thessalonians, but he was hindered by Satan. But that didn't stop him. He depended on who to make it happen? God. And that's what we will see in this short prayer here a big idea for this passage is this fervent love for the saints is the means of praying for the saints when we have fervent love for the people of God we will pray for the people of God so let's look at three quick principles here in short order principle number one it is God that makes our pathways straight Verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus Christ 
direct our way to you. Again, encouraged by the steadfastness of the Thessalonians, as we read in verses 1 through 10 of this chapter, Paul prays for God to make a way to see them. Why was he dependent on God? Because Satan opposed them coming. He put obstacles in their way. Now, I'll say this. This does not put Satan as being all-powerful. We don't want to overestimate Satan's power. But in this case, Paul says that Satan hindered them. He didn't say why. But this does not mean that the devil is out there blocking every path of yours. What this does mean in the context of this passage is that Paul desired to go see the Thessalonians, but Satan had hindered them. So now he was praying instead for the Lord to make a way for this to happen. The prayer was that God and the Lord Jesus would facilitate Paul's return to the Thessalonians without any impediment or without any change in plans. You know how it is when you, you, you're planning a vacation or you're, you're planning on a day off work or you're planning to do something of significance, but all of a sudden a change of plans happens? That happens sometimes. And so Paul, in his prayer, he was praying that a change of plans doesn't happen. He was praying that there was no impediment, that nothing impeded or stop short him wanting to come to them. So as such, this petition is the counterpart to the satanic opposition that impeded their return before, as we read in verse 18 of chapter 2. And why is this important? Because it is the Lord who guides our steps. And we should always seek God and his ways for guidance in leading our steps. Psalm 37 and 23 says, the steps of a good man are ordered by who? The Lord. It is the Lord who orders our steps. And Paul demonstrated this by praying that the Lord makes a way for them to come to the Thessalonians. Because it is the Lord who orders our steps steps it's the Lord and that's who we go to to seek guidance to seek order of our steps just like we're doing as a church we ask the Lord to order our steps as we pursue this merger we ask God to do that because their way was hindered by Satan Paul sought the Lord in this difficult circumstance. I'm reminded of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that says that we, in essence, should trust in the Lord with all of our heart and do not lean to our own understanding. In all our ways acknowledge him, and he will direct our paths. But it starts off by saying, trust in who? The Lord with all our heart. We trust and ask the Lord to direct us and guide our steps. If we're doing evangelism, 
We ask the Lord to order our steps that Satan may not hinder us in evangelizing. If we're serving others as a Christian, if we're serving our unsaved neighbors, Lord, make a way. May Satan not hinder our steps. And this is what this prayer demonstrates here, that the Lord is the one who guides our steps. But you know the great thing about it is that God answered Paul's prayer in Acts the 20th chapter, verses 1 through 4. God didn't answer that prayer. And this is what we see in Acts 20 when Paul accounts, uh, recounts his missionary journeys as he did through this book. This is what it says. Because this book was written around the time uh, of this chapter in the book of Acts. He says, After the uproar ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia, and Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. So Paul journeyed through Thessalonica on his way to Macedonia. So the Lord had answered his prayer for him to go visit the saints. Friends, as we pray and ask the Lord to help uh, to make a way for us, if some, something is going to honor him, guess what? He's faithful to answer us. Amen? Our next principle is that it is God that causes our love for one another to increase and abound. So look at what else he prayed for them. Verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love toward one another. And to all, just as we do to you. Paul prayed for abounding love in other letters as well as in this one. In chapter 4 and verse 1, the very next chapter. He says, finally then, brethren, we urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. He says it in 2 Thessalonians 1 and 3. He calls them to abound also. He says it right here. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. And then you have in Philippians the same thing. Philippians 1 and 9. Paul spoke of their abounding love. Where he says, And I pray that your love may abound still more and more. So we see that abounding love for the saints was a great concern for Paul, and so it should be for us also. I want to explain these two words here. You have abounding and increasing. 
There are two different words that mean two different things. When he says increase, he means that it may grow. Just like a plant increases as it grows. It increases in size. And then the word abound means to overflow. So he's praying that their love does two things. It grows and it overflows. And this is the truth, saints. Over time, as we're being sanctified, the saints' love for each other grows and it overflows. As believers in Christ, our love for each other grows more and more as we are being sanctified, as we're being conformed to the image of Christ, our love for the saints grows. And not only does it grow, but it also overflows toward each other. It, it comes bubbling up to the point that every time that we see each other, every time that we're gathered together in corporate worship, that love for each other just, it just comes bubbling out. We don't have to fake it. We don't have to pretend. It grows. It, it increases in value. It increases in intensity. It increases in purpose. It increases in gospel unity. And it overflows. We just, we just enjoy it so much, the fellowship of the saints. That is what Paul is praying for, that our love for each other as believers increases. That's what he's praying for. It's not about having a warm and presence because that's not love. That's just a good feeling. It is a deep abiding love for each other. But it doesn't stop there. He also says abounding love to one another and to all. Additionally, this increasing and abounding love is shown towards unbelievers as a demonstration of of Christ's love. After all, it was Christ who said in Luke 6 and 27 and Matthew 5 and 44, love your enemies. Don't you know that our unsaved co-workers, our unsaved neighbors, our unsaved friends should see our love for them and for their souls? And that our love for them and their, their souls should increase and abound more and more because guess what? We want to see them saved. We want them to experience that saintly love that saints have for each other. Where did Christ demonstrate his love for his enemies? At the cross. He purchased the salvation of the very people who murdered him. Their sins were paid for also. Their sins put him on the cross also. He paid the penalty, the price for their sins. To the point where he cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. That is the love of enemies demonstrated. The very people who said crucify him. The very people who gave him three trumped-up false trials, who brought false witnesses up against him. The very people 
who cheered as those Roman soldiers ripped his back open. The very people who pressed those, thron those thorns into his skin on his head. The very people who punched him in his jaw, who pulled out his hair and insulted him, who stuck gall in his mouth. The very people who put that heavy wooden cross on his back to carry to its own execution. The very people who laid him down and nailed those long rusty nails through his wrist and through his ankles. And pushed that cross up and thrust it in the ground. The very people who mocked him and spit on him very people Christ said Lord forgive them for they do not know what they're doing we are to demonstrate the same love towards the enemies of Christ because anyone who's not saved is an enemy of Christ by the way they're not good people who are just not saved yet no they are under the condemnation of and what does Christ call us to do? He calls us to love them. So this love that, that Paul is telling us to show is demonstrated in the fact that our love for them should be increasing. Paul exhorts believers to love not only the saints, but also unbelievers. He says it here in this same book in 1 Thessalonians 5 and, 35, 5 and 15. He says, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. But always pursue what is good for you yourselves, for the saints, and for all. And for all. He says in Galatians 6 and 10, he says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. To all, but especially to those who are the household of faith. So it doesn't neglect the household of faith, but what Paul is telling us is that the love that we show as saints should be demonstrated to all. And so that's what he means in this passage when he says this. That our love should increase and abound to each other and to all. So friends, this, this love can only be demonstrated by Holy Spirit empowerment. Only the Holy Spirit can give us the power to love like that. Galatians 5 and 22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Only the Holy Spirit can give us this type of love. But not only do we love the saints with an abounding and increasing love, but we also love unbelievers with their abounding and increasing love because we care for their souls. We care for their salvation. We care for their eternity. And we want them to experience the same fellowship that we have. Amen? Amen. And God answered this prayer in 2 Thessalonians 1 and 3, as I read earlier. And Paul came to them again. We're bound to give thanks always to God for you, as it is fitting because of your faith, your exceedingly growing faith, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each 
problem. So the second time that Paul wrote the letter, he was thanking God that their love was being what? It was abounding. Such to be the case with us. As we pray for these things, guess what? God does that work in us. Man, our last principle here is that it is God who strengthens our heart and causes us to grow in holiness. Last part of this prayer. He says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So this is a continuation of verse 12. This is what happens when our love increases and abounds in love. So when love increases and abounds, hearts are strengthened or established. And we are made blameless in holiness when Christ returns. This is looking to the glorification of the saints. So this prayer concludes with Paul's gaze fixed on the final events when the church will come before the presence of the Lord at Christ's second coming. Our prayer should always include this reality that one day we will go back to be with the Lord and thanking the Lord for making that way. So the grammar in this passage, in this verse, implies that establishing the believers as those who are blameless in holiness is the fruit of their mutual love towards each other. Again, the grammar implies that establishing the believers as those who are blameless and holiness is the fruit of their mutual love for each other and for everyone else. So you could translate the first part of this verse so that your hearts might be established blameless and holiness. And their growth in love for each other and for all the people contributes to their holiness. So as our love for each other grows and as it abounds, guess what is the byproduct of that? Our holiness is increased. Our holiness is increased. You can't put the cart before the horse. You can't desire to be holy without first increasing and abounding in love. As we increase and abound in love, guess what? We will be made holy. Amen. By way of application, as we pray this prayer, pray for the Lord to guide our steps through satanic opposition. Friends, there are testimonies of God guiding steps here in this church when Satan hinders, when Satan opposes. Pray and ask God to guide your steps. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He obtains favor from him. God answers those prayers when we ask the Lord. Because, see, when we ask the Lord to guide our steps, guess what? Who's going to guide us? He is. And he's not going to guide us in a way that is contrary to his word or to his will. He's not going to do that. So that's why it's always good to do that. Number two, pray for God to increase and abound us in love for the saints and for the world. Lord, help my heart to grow warm 
warmer towards the saints and to love the saints more and more and to cherish the fellowship of the saints more and more, to increase, to abound, to overflow in love. Whenever we get together as saints, not just here in this church, but any believer, it's like Friday night when we had the Good Friday service at ABC. Man, my heart is bursting forth because all these saints here at a worship service dedicated to Christ giving his life and paying the penalty for our sins. My heart is always overflowing in love when I'm around the saints, no matter where we are. It's always overflowing. Our heart should always overflow. And our hearts will flow towards those in the world who are not saved because we love them so much, we want them to be saved. So we demonstrate that by evangelizing them. Showing them that there is a better way than the way that you're living. That you're not living according to God's will. That if you die today, you won't be with God. And I love you enough to tell you that. And number three, pray for the Lord to establish your heart, making you blameless in holiness. It is God who establishes us. This prayer is about God. All prayers about God. So how can we pray this prayer? We can pray it for the church. Longing to see the saints. Longing to be with the saints. Lord, make a way for that to happen. Pray that we abound in love towards one another and that our love increases. And pray that our love increases for those who are without Christ so that we can evangelize them because their very lives depend on it. And then praying that God establishes, settles our hearts, making us blameless in holiness at the appearing of Christ as he comes back. All of our hope should be in the fact that Jesus is coming back to redeem us Father, I thank you for this passage. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit empowering me to preach. I pray, Lord, that you apply this truth to all of our hearts. To pray that you make a way for us, that you guide our paths as a church, as individuals in this life, that Satan may not hinder us. Lord, if he does, that you pray, that we pray that you make a way. Lord, help us to pray that our love increases, that it abounds more and more for the saints, that our love increases for each other here at this church, Lord, and for saints all over this world in our, in our gospel partnership. And wherever we go, Lord, wherever we meet a Christian, and that, Lord, we our love increases for unbelievers, those who are unsaved, those who are lost in their sins, those who would go to hell, Lord, if they died today. Father, I pray that you do your work in us for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.